The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Man at the Gate. Here you will learn how to apply your Christian ethics in the political arena. This includes our local and federal politics. Come, sit, relax, and enjoy our time together as we discuss the state of our nation and what it looks like to be salt and light in a pagan world. Welcome to Man at the Gate. I will be your host, Carrie Appling. Those cool tunes you were hearing there at the beginning are made by Jed Shirley, a devout brother in Christ. Uh, he loves the arts and is fantastic at them, to be honest with you. He made that uh, little ditty you hear at the beginning uh, there at the end as well. Um, I want to thank Reconstructionist Radio for giving me the opportunity to make this podcast. Um, <clears throat> You know, I was thinking about why do we need another Christian podcast? Do we really need another Christian podcast? Uh, for many years, I did not think we did, and yet there are still many Christian podcasts that are still coming out. <clears throat> and uh, I just didn't think we needed another Christian podcast, to be honest with you, for many, for many years. I thought everything had pretty much been covered, even within the Reconstructionist group. I was pretty positive that... Most of the podcasts that are out there, even on Reconstructionist Radio or even beyond that, that relate to theonomy or postmillennialism or even presuppositionalism or Reconstruction, I thought that everything would be covered. Um, I do not think that's the case. And I will go on to tell you why, but first, <clears throat> I would like to lay out what we're doing here. What What is my goal with Man at the Gate? And I'd like to start off with Deuteronomy 12, verses 1 through, two, 1 through 7. These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on, on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear, tear down the altars and dash in pieces their pillars, and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation. There. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. I figured this was a very good uh, verse contextually to start off with at the beginning of my podcast because it basically sets the tone for my podcast. And the tone is that us Christians um, are winning a, uh, a battle by the power of the gospel. God is going to crush his enemies and he is going to bring about dominion on the earth through his people. And Deuteronomy 12 verses 1 through 7 is a great place to start as to what it is that we are to do as we move forward in that victory. And uh, it's a message of no compromise. It's a message of there's only one way to worship God. And God's people are to be active in bringing dominion into the earth, not, um, I guess, running away uh, from the problems, or only reserving the gospel for um, soteriological reasons. <clears throat> yes, the gospel needs to be preached in its entirety, and yes, men need to be saved from their sins by our beautiful Savior, Christ Jesus. Uh, I'll be the first one to open air preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. But 
ultimately our culture is suffering because that is all a Christian ever wants to do if you can ever even get them to do that. Most of them don't even do that. Uh, I'm, I'm a sinner myself and I fall short in sharing the gospel as often as I should. But it is a sin that I combat. It is not something that I embrace. I, um, I seek to share the gospel, as should you. <clears throat> so moving on from here, keep this mind, uh, the Deuter- keep this in mind, Deuteronomy chapter twelve, there verses one through seven. Do a study for yourself. But I wanted us to start there because um, I wanted us to obviously set the tone. I know I've said that, so forgive forgive me. I might edit that out. But this podcast will not be about explaining a lot of Reconstructionist and theonomic and postmillennial concepts at a systematic level. Uh, that's not why I made this podcast. It's not why I want to do this podcast. I think that so many brothers and sisters are doing that, um, and they're doing great. But I want to... I wanted to make a podcast because I saw a need to apply these concepts, a theonomic concept or a reconstructionist concept or postmillennial concepts, and those biblical systems of thought to daily applications um, in, day, in, in, in our current culture. Uh, we need that application badly um, because the culture is constantly shifting and changing and new problems are coming up almost daily and weekly that need quick answers. Maybe I can't provide all those answers. I, I know I can't provide all those answers. There's too much content. I'm growing myself. But I'm going to try because I think it's desperately needed. I think it, there's, it, there's a desperate need to understand the world at a spiritual level um, and not just a spiritual level so that you can squeeze in the gospel. Yes, we should be ready and mindful to share the gospel, but we should also be discerning the world around us. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm making this podcast. I believe that's why the Lord's put it on my heart. So uh, here are some things I want to discuss going forward um, for the man at the gate. Uh, political theory, modern events, economics, education, the church, the arts, philosophy, family, Work at work and business ethics, recreation. Um, so, if those are things you're interested in, um, if those are uh, things that you don't believe many Christians are talking about from a Christian worldview or a biblical theonomic reconstructionist worldview, uh, you've come to the right place, and I hope I can bless you as we move forward. So why am I call, why man at the gate? Why do call a man at the gate? Well, if you read in the Old Testament, there are many verses and many um, contexts where God is constantly talking about the gates. And the gates in Old Testament times was typically where the Levitical priests would read the law morning and night to the people, where you could go and also ask the Levitical priest specific applications for God's law uh, if you're needing an answer or if you're needing a dispute to be um, sort of solidified in your mind you would go to some of these Levitical priests and ask them how a case law applies to a concept that you're or or, uh, something that's happening in your life you could go there also you would see judges you would see men rendering judgment on disputes as well so not only could you talk to Levitical priests about what um, you know the issue is that you're having and how to work it out through God's law and what God's word says you would also see justice rendered at the gate you would this was the courthouse the gate was where you where you got justice in God's economy and you would also see men and women sitting around talking discussing news getting news understanding what's going on over here, what's going on over there. This was the a big central hub for the cultural life of a biblical um, nation and a biblical city or a biblical town. So with Man at the Gate, when I, when I decided to call it Man at the Gate, uh, 1 Peter 2.9 comes to mind. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. I say that. Amen, amen. And so we are told that we are a holy nation. That The book of Revelation says there's a new Jerusalem. And when I bring up man at the gate, the imagery is supposed to impart to my listeners the idea of us sitting um, at a gate, of us sitting at the gates of New Jerusalem and uh, thinking through cultural problems and cultural issues because nothing comes in to the New Jerusalem that is not purified by Christ and by his blood. So none of the pagans come in here. This is just us. Now, that doesn't mean unbelievers can't listen to what we're saying here at Man at the Gate. But the concept is that before we leave town, before we leave and go out into the world, we need to sit here at the gate and we need to think through some really, really heavy concepts, get them uh, digested in our mind, and then move out and use those as um, things that the unbeliever can see and proclaim the goodness of God. I believe that's what the Old Testament says. It doesn't come to mind, but um, I'm sure someone knows exactly where it is. But basically, God gave says that He gives us His law so that the nations can rejoice and say, "Oh, you know, what wonderful nation is this, and what is His God like if His laws are so just?" Something along those lines. And forgive me for probably butchering it. But Ephesians. Well, hang on here. Let's uh, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, um, so politics. So as we move into pol- so political, we're going to talk about politics today. Today we're just going to get right into some pol- some political stuff. But before we do that, we need to understand that politics and the political realm are not neutral to Christianity. There isn't a set of laws or a system of thought that governs my private life that I reject and that I then go into the political realm and uh, t- and and bring entirely new systems of thought that are neutral to Christianity. I don't. You know, it's the argument. I don't bring my religion into politics. In fact, I had a discussion with somebody on Facebook today, a Unitarian, like Messianic Jew. You know, go figure, right? And she, you know, is the, just as humanistic as you can get. And it's a humanistic idea to not bring your, quote, religion into politics. And that's what humanism is. Humanism says that the only valid position you can have politically is to presuppose humanistic thought. Uh, you cannot do that, Christian. That is evil. Uh, humanistic thought is not neutral to Christ, and there is no neutrality to Christ. Either you are for him or against him. And humanism does not glorify God. It is not based on human you know, on, on God's law. It is based on human reasoning and human logic. It is the example of leaning on your own understanding. And we are forbidden to lean on our own understanding. Or in fact, we're told to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, and he will make our path straight. <clears throat> so let's read Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Maybe we'll get a better feeling for what I'm getting at here. Ephesians six ten through 13 Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So, politics is not merely flesh and blood. Even political theories, even ideas and schemes of how to centrally plan our lives, and we'll get into collectivism and central planning and things like that, but humanism basically boils down to that. Um, and humanistic thought is spiritual thought. It's dead, sinful thought, but it is no doubt spiritual in nature. Theories and other ideas that arrive politically are not by chance. They are first and foremost 
manifested metaphysically in the spiritual realm, and then those ideas come to fruition in our physical world, in creation. So if man will not have God's law, he will make his own law, and he will make himself out to be God. We'll get more into the ideas of man declaring his own law and viewing viewing himself as God and uh, centrally planning everyone's lives through government. But we're going to move on to civil asset forfeiture. Whoa, what is that, Carrie? Why does that matter? Where do we? Why do we jump into civil asset forfeiture? Well, I believe I've basically explained the basis of Man at the Gate and what we're doing here, so I want to move on. So civil asset forfeiture is a uh, one of the biggest injustices in our nation. Now, I don't say that lightly because we have abortion, uh, we have uh, you know opiate epidemics, we have our foreign wars, we have uh, you know uh, all kinds of you know sexual promiscuity, homosexuality. Hmm. It's uh, getting worse and worse. Gun violence. So civil asset forfeiture is a bit of a pet peeve for me, though, because very few people know about it. So I want to expose this injustice and show how it wars against God, it wars against creation, it wars against the image of God, and ultimately it needs to be uh, destroyed as an idol. So civil asset forfeiture, before we get into it, I want to read a quote, two quotes. Two quotes from a man named Frederick Bastiat. He was a uh, Frenchman who wrote a book called The Law. Um, any of my listeners who are listening to my podcast, I give this book out for free. And if anyone wants it, I will mail it to you for free. Uh, private message me on Facebook, Carrie Appling. Hey man, I want a book. Send it to me. I'll send it to you. So here's what Frederick Bastiat says. Quote, when plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men in a society over the course of time, they create for themselves a legal system that authorizes it and a moral code that glorifies it. And so that's the first quote. Here's the second quote. Sometimes the law defends plunder and participates in it. Thus the beneficiaries are spared the shame and danger that their acts would otherwise involve. But how is this legal plunder to be identified? Quite simply, see if the law takes from some persons what belongs to them and gives it to the other persons to whom it doesn't belong. See if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. Remember that. Then abolish the law without delay. No legal plunder. This is the principle of justice, peace, order, stability, harmony, and logic. So those two quotes by Frederick Bastiat, and by the way, when I wrote this, read this book, uh, shout out to Mike Osman. He recommended it to me. Many years ago I read it. It's, it's like 70, 70 pages. not very long. Maybe less. Maybe 50. Almost a track. And he basically was exposing socialism at the time. And the, he adopted or invented this concept of plunder, and which was to paint the government as pirates, plundering the populace for their own benefit. And so remember this, that it, and this was this is interesting. The idea that Bastiat says, if the law benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. So ask yourself, any time a police officer does something, would this be a crime if I did it? It's that easy. It literally is that easy. Would this be a crime if I did it in this instance and I wasn't a police officer? Now, what is civil asset forfeiture? So let's get into what civil asset forfeiture is. Let's open up this bad boy. Civil asset forfeiture, this is from a website called heritage.org. Um, and a uh, I, most of what I'm going to do on here is I'm sort of going to springboard from articles that I find are extremely reliable. 
and uh, springboard from from those into the biblical concepts that we're going to be talking about. So what is civil asset forfeiture? Civil asset forfeiture is a legal tool that allows law enforcement officials to seize property that they assert has been involved in certain criminal activity. In fact, the owner of the property doesn't even need to be guilty of a crime. Civil asset forfeiture proceedings charge the property itself with involvement in a crime. I'm going to read that again. Civil asset forfeiture proceedings charge the property itself with involvement in a crime. This means that police can seize your car, home, money, or valuables without ever having to charge you with a crime. And there are many, many stories of innocent people being stripped of their money and property by law enforcement. So why would we ever do this? Today, civil asset forfeiture is intended to give law enforcement a tool they can use to go after organized crime, including drug dealers and the organizations. While its roots in the common law are deep, modern civil asset forfeiture is justified primarily on the grounds that it allows law enforcement to seize the assets and ill-gotten gains, quote-unquote, of these criminals, using the property and proceedings to fight against other alleged criminals. Unfortunately, civil asset forfeiture is also used by law enforcement as a way to generate revenue. Oh, shock there. And many of its targets are innocent members of the public. So just so my listeners understand, civil asset forfeiture is when the police officers cannot get a warrant to search your vehicle or, you know, they can't they do not have any evidence whatsoever that you have committed a crime at all. But they've created a system that allows them to charge your car with a crime or allows them to charge your $50 in your wallet with a crime or allows them to charge your cell phone with a crime. And because your cell phone isn't a person, it can't give a defense. And so then what the police departments do is then they require you to prove your innocence to get the money back. That's right. Under civil asset forfeiture, you are not innocent until proven guilty. Because you haven't been charged with the crime and the property has, you have to prove that it is innocent. And that's how they get uh, they get the big bucks. And we're going to go into how much money they actually make, but I want to I talk about why civil asset forfeiture is absolutely wicked. It is probably one of the wickedest things uh, the police department has ever participated in uh, and even uh, uh, encouraged. I mean, ask a normal police officer. You can go into a police department, ask them what their uh, what their thoughts are on civil asset forfeiture, and they will tell you it is a godsend because it allows them to harass people they think are criminals who they can never get charged with a crime. Uh, but we find out that that's not always true. They use it for they use it against everybody. How does this pervert justice? Because it does pervert justice, and God hates injustice. This is an injustice. It's it's property. The first number one, it's proper property must only be seized if it is suspected of being used for a crime. The way civil asset forfeiture works is that the officers merely have to suspect you of a crime without a warrant, and they can seize even your home and your car. This bur- number two, this burdens only the less fortunate. Civil asset forfeiture and exploitative programs like it never attack the rich or well-to-do, typically. These programs, and most, of, most like them, are almost always geared towards the impoverished and ignorant. The cops seize your property. They typically charge you 50, a $50 holding fee. So I've done a lot of research on here. Here's how it works. They typically seize your property, and then they charge you a $50 holding fee and demand that you pay that $50 within 5 to 10 days. If you can't pay that fee, and many poor, poor families can't. I mean, many people literally don't have $50 laying around. You may not like that, but get over it. That's the way life is. I mean, and we live in a we, – we are extremely taxed. Most of us are, are giving the government 30% of our income, a lot of us. And so if you can't pay – if you can't pay that fee, many poor families – oh, I already talked about that. Then they liquidate your assets into, your, into their budget. And if you manage to fight them in court, if you can afford the court fees and time, then they will charge you sometimes as much as $10 a day for holding your property. That gets expensive. Within nine months, 
the $350 they stole will cost you $2,700 to get back. You do the math. Cops know the math doesn't add up. It's why they created the bureaucratic nightmare to begin with. So think about that. Think about that concept. Think about a police officer steals $200 from you. You got 200 bucks in your pocket. He says you smell like weed. Takes you 200 bucks. Uh, doesn't have a warrant. Doesn't have any evidence whatsoever. There's nothing on you. Takes your $200. And then he says, hey, you can have your $200 back if you pay me $50 within the first 10 days. And if you don't, we're going to keep it. Now you say, no, I want my I want my $200 back. So you give them 50 bucks. Well, now you've got a court date set for your civil asset forfeiture, and that's going to be three months from now. Well, how many days is that? That's 90 days. $10 a day to hold $200. Now, are you following me? How much is that? That's an astronomical amount. Who's going to pay, as I was saying, who's going to pay $2,700 to get $350 back? Who's going to pay that? <laughs> the government knows you're not going to. So they're going to keep it. It's ingenious, diabolically ingenious. This is stealing. This is the third reason. This is stealing. And God says, thou shalt not steal. This also makes the government presuppose itself to be the owner of all the earth. And that our property and that our property is theirs even when it's in our possession. It is or it is first and foremost a sin against God. Let's not let's not uh, beat around the bush there. First and foremost, before it's a sin against us, it's a sin against our holy God. And therefore has come into contact with God's sovereignty and must be rebuked and abolished. And as uh, Bastiat says, wherever you find it, abolish it immediately. Don't make excuses. We don't play with snakes. We don't make excuses, excuses for snakes. If you have a if you have a varmint in the house, you kick it out. If you got leaven in, you kick it out. Well, Carrie, this is not a Christian. You know that's not. Well, I'm not asking you what it is and what it isn't. I'm telling you what our Lord provide, what our Lord demands, and that's to stand up for the cause of the widow and the orphan. And you better believe that this affects widows and orphans. I mean, cops that they are. This is how they exploit poor people. These things only always exploit poor people because a rich man who makes, you know, two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand $300,000 in his pocket every year, what's $2,000 to that guy? Oh, yeah, it's still evil. Even stealing that, that money from a very rich man is still evil, but it's not a hassle to him. The single family, such as myself, where I'm the only breadwinner and my wife stays at home and watches the kids, every dollar counts for us. I save money as much as I can because every dollar counts. When something happens, I have to have some money set aside. Um, and uh, I don't have a lot. And a lot of people don't, not in this economy. Uh, and because, of, because every day matters for poor people, because we can't skip work, because that day that we skip, we needed that money, for that day, we a lot of the times just don't care. Lost 200 bucks, just the way it is. I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have the 50 bucks to get my $20 back and then, you know, another, what, two, $3,000. You know, it's ridiculous. This perpetuates poverty by grinding the faces of the poor, number four, as I'm saying. At the expense of the pensions and cool budget upgrades for the police department. How many families have had their savings emptied by these departments? This effectively enslaves people at the expense of the police department's pension and budget. When the department is short on cash for the budget, it's time for Dick and Sally to lose $750 of their savings to get the car out of the pound. The air conditioning in the house goes out two months later and the $750 that Dick and Sally needed for the repair went to the new Coke machine in the department's break room. That's basic economics. That's basic economics and how civil asset forfeiture takes from your savings and your hard-earned money to a lot of the times pad the pensions for the local police departments. Many of the many much of the property that is in the local auctions from the police department, I would put money down on it that eighty to ninety percent of that is property that has been uh, seized through civil asset forfeiture. And then what they do is they sell that off at auction when people can't afford to get back their car that's, you know, worth $700. They can't afford to, you know, pay the 
two or three grand to get it back in the three or four months to do it. So the cops liquidate it, and it goes right back into the budget. And we're all being shaken down. I mean, it's the truth. Are you angry? I'm angry. I mean, I hope somebody's angry. So I wanted to read this article here. Uh, This is from Reason Magazine. You're going to hear me read a lot from Reason and Fee. Dot org, F-E-E.org. Uh, not that I worship these uh, 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 places of news or anything like that. I just think that these guys are um, reporting on things that matter while the rest of the media is arguing about Trump's tweets and whether we should build a wall and whether you know we should ban straws and all these other things. Uh, here at Man at the Wall, we're going to talk about stuff that is going to affect you locally. Uh, and what you need to be doing now locally to combat these things. I believe Reason and Fee are uh, American Vision, um, Mises.org, another good one. Uh, These are the places that are talking about the stuff that really matters in our life and the stuff that is actually impacting us. Uh, Trump's tweets aren't impacting you, neither is the law, neither the Muslims and Mexicans coming over. But let's not get distracted. I want to keep reading out. So I want to read this entire article. It's not very long, uh, but it is going to take a minute because I think it's important. This is an article from Reason Magazine. Uh, The Justice Justice Department didn't charge him with a crime. It's going to take $39,000 from him anyway. In order to get back in – so this is an article written by Scott Shackford on August 6th of 2018. In order to get back any of the money that the New Hampshire State Police took from him, Edward Phipps has agreed to let federal prosecutors keep most of it, even though he has not been charged with any crimes. The cops took the cash during a traffic stop in 2016. Phipps wasn't even in the car at the time. The police police pulled the driver over for tailgating and for going one whole mile per hour of the speed limit. A search turned up a bag full of $46,000 in cash in the trunk. Police then brought in a a drug-sniffing dog, which came up empty. Though they have presented no evidence of any criminal act, police took the money and federal prosecutors declared their intent to force the forfeiture of the funds so they could keep it. Phipps came forward in July 2017 to indicate that he... the cash was his, and he said it was obtained legally. We took note of this case back... So, now, keep that in mind. I want to stop real quick. This is why the government wants us all to go into uh, debit cards. They want us all using electronic-based currency so that they can uh, track every dollar that we spend. So, most likely, what they did here was they, uh, they seized the money because they know that you can't track every dollar, and because of that, it's even harder to get it back. So, let's keep going. We took note of this case back in March, and it looks like the Justice Department succeeded in getting its way. As part of a settlement, Phipps has agreed to give the Department of Justice $39,000 of the $46,000 seized. And this was a case of civil asset forfeiture, where law enforcement officials take and keep people's assets that they suspect are connected to criminal activity. Often, they can do this without convicting or even charging any person with a crime. Instead, the property itself is accused of being linked to misconduct. So we talked about that. The defendant in this settlement is the cash itself. The Department of Justice is suing a sack of money. This isn't fictional. This isn't. You're not listening to Alex Jones, people. This is how our government works. This is how the criminal justice system works in America. It has nothing to do with justice. You can call it the Department of Injustice or the uh, injustice system because that's what we're talking about. Uh, When I say it is run and it is operated by some of the most diabolical, devious, demonic people you can possibly imagine, I cannot stress that enough. And that is not merely rhetoric. A lot of these people are just, I mean, some of the worst things that have ever come uh, to earth, to be honest with you. This weird quirk matters because the burdens of proof in civil courts are often lower than the, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt required to convict a person. So it's easier for prosecutors to win, and it flips presumption of innocence on its head. Phipps has to hire a lawyer and prove his money isn't connected to a criminal activity. As part of the settlement, Phipps not only agrees to give up everything but $7,000, which will probably have to go to his legal fees. So just think about that. 
He had to pay all the money he got back. He had to pay his lawyer for it. Why even go through it, you know? He agrees never to request that the money be returned. And he furthermore agrees never to attempt to assert any claim that the government did not have, quote, probable cause, end quote, to make him forfeit the money. I'm highlighting that, I'm highlighting that, pa- that part of the story to show how much lower the legal threshold is to take somebody's stuff and keep it. Quote, probable cause is the amount of evidence police need for a search warrant, not nearly enough to convict somebody of a crime. A note here, both a Justice Department official and a reader contacted me to point out that the legal threshold for civil for federal civil forfeiture is, quote, a, pop, a preponderance of the evidence, a more restrictive requirement than, quote, probable cause. This is true, but the settlement uses the term probable cause to describe the justification for the civil for the se- for the seizure and forfeiture, not the stricter legal requirements. So they're getting into some heavy stuff there. But so follow along. Two more paragraphs, almost done. This wasn't supposed to happen. New Hampshire reformed. So this will blow your mind. New Hampshire reformed its civil asset forfeiture laws in 2016 to require a criminal conviction before for police or prosecutors could force people to forfeit money or property. Unfortunately, the state's reform did not close a loophole that lets local police partner with feds in a program called equitable sharing. In this system, local police use a federal asset forfeiture program instead of their own, and then the Justice Department distributes most of its money most of the money forfeited back to local law enforcement. That's why the Department of Justice is not is involved here. The state police can't seize FIPS money on their own. So they went to the feds to arrange the forfeiture and then the equitable sharing program lets the Justice Department funnel the funds right back to local law enforcement. It's not money laundering when the government when it's the government. Man, right there at the end, right? What, what did he say there at the end? It's not money laundering when it's the government. And what did, what did, what did Frederick Bastiat say in that quote above? That we have to ask ourselves, if I did this and I wasn't a government official, would it be a criminal activity? The answer is yes. I mean, even the legislation tried to hamstring the executive officers of the local police departments in their state, and the local police officers bucked the legislative authority, which is supposed to be representative of the people. The, the, the police officers who are also supposed to serve the, the, the public not only went around the legislative but they did it against the people's, quote, will. And this is, we'll get into, you know, if there's a will of the people and all this other stuff. But I'm just showing you that even these ideas of the will of the people and that police officers are these good and angelic beings, no, by and far, the entire department here, I mean, all the departments in New Hampshire are using the loophole. And this was only created two years ago. This 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 civil asset reform law was created in 2016 and police have already created a system to get around it how by bringing in federal agents to do the ass the 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 seizure to bringing in those federal agents to do the prosecution so they so that New Hampshire isn't doing it in their own their own uh, jurisdiction so the police officers can technically tell the people of New Hampshire and the legislation of New Hampshire that hey we're not we're not stealing the money we didn't do it we just, you know, we uh, we were doing this uh, equitable sharing with the federal, with the feds. Welcome to America. I mean, I'm ashamed, to be honest with you. These are the things we're going to talk about at Man at the Gate. I think what's even worse is that the state of the church in America is in such a bind that most people are ignorant of these injustices. This is just one thing. I'm going to be talking about a great many things. This is just one aspect and this, we're still talking about sanctification. We're still talking about justification. We're still talking about reconciliation. We're still talking about, uh, uh, you know, sacrificial or uh, substitutionary atonement. Amen. Let's talk about them. But it's time the church moves on. It's time the church begins to talk about how substitutionary atonement destroys 
humanistic thought of man's sovereignty over God on earth. So keep in mind, you're going to probably hear people say that here at Man at the Gate, I'm denying the gospel or that I want to add to the gospel, but that's not what I'm doing here. I'm asking you, how does substitutionary atonement attack humanistic thought of God's, of man's sovereignty on earth? Because it does. It's not merely something for you to ponder or it's something for you to navel gaze um, and to have, you know, superlapsarian and infralapsarian debates. Yes, those things are important. But you have to apply your systematic theology and your biblical theology outside of the church. You have to take it into the political realm. And not this, oh, I don't bring scripture to bear on these political issues, or I don't think about these issues from a systematic biblical approach. You had better, you had better do that. And God knows that I have not. God knows that I have spent much of my life in the ignorance of God's law, and in many cases, hating God's law, not wanting it, thinking it's evil, thinking that the humanistic solutions are quite better. Or that God's law is only for my life. It's only for my personal devotion. God's law is a devotion and a scripture verse and some prayer. That's it. That's all God wants. That's, you know, those are the sacrifices that God calls for. No. And, and to be honest with you, I preach the gospel. I've street preached myself. And I love it. I love it. But you know what Christians need to be doing? They need to be street preaching out at the out at the blue thin blue line parades. They need to be exposing civil asset forfeiture to people who lick the boots of cops and say how do you how do you answer New Hampshire police department statewide using a loophole that the people in the legislation passed in order to stop them from stealing from them and they still use the federal jurisdiction to bypass their people. That is evil wickedness. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to, oh, no, you're not understanding, Carrie. You know, we really can't. These, these drug lords are really sneaky. Of course they are. You can't bypass. You can't throw away the justice system because you can't get two or three witnesses. You can't. You can't do that. That's fascism. That's how you create a hellscape in, in America. And that's where we are right now. That's where we've come to the point where they can literally charge, they're going to start charging, you know, the members of our skin or the members of our body before, you know, hey, you, you know, we're not charging you, we're charging your finger, you know, that's where we're at. And I'm mad, I'm mad, you should be too. The Bible says to be angry and don't sin. But most Christians aren't even angry. Well, Carrie, I'm trying to live the best life now. I'm trying. I'm trying to think the best thought. I'm trying to. Po- I'm trying to. I'm trying to uh, focus on what's positive, man. Sort of like the one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Why are you? What the the Pharisees and and the 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 Jews of old were asking? Why are you always giving bad news? Why are you always got bad things to say? Hey, look. If I've got to be the bearer of bad news, well, that's okay. You know, because it gives me, it, just because I see injustice in the world doesn't mean I'm a sourpuss and I'm a sad person. In fact, I'm a very, very jovial and happy person. You want to know why? Because I know God's justice uh, and God's wrath screams against this stuff. My depression comes from Christians not only not caring and not only not, not only defending these practices, but continuing to espouse that cops are by and large good people. Sorry. You want to know how much cops stole from citizens in 2016 through civil asset forfeiture nationwide? You want to know how much they stole? They stole $5 billion. Now, let's put that into context. It's a lot of money. But how, you know, how much is that like in context with some other stuff? You want to know how much petty theft stole nationwide the same year how many people broke into homes and stole property guess how much petty theft stole nationwide 3.5 billion dollars did you hear me thieves breaking into homes and stealing television sets and banks and say or not banks but safes 
and uh, you know video games and you know jewelry they stole less than the thin blue line good police officers and police officers stole 1.5 billion dollars more than them it wasn't even close it would still be a shame if cops stole half of what petty theft stole in 2016 but they almost doubled it almost double so i don't know where else to go the rest of the nation is arguing about arguing about straws or they're arguing about whether we're gonna whether we're you know we should bomb another nation or things like that and this is what you are dealing with in your county this is what's happening in your county 5.5 billion dollars that means every department's in on it everyone there are certain departments that this is almost all they specialize in and a lot of those departments are out in the rural areas where cops pulling people over on the interstate highways and other things like that but i do want to move on I want to comfort my brothers and sisters that God is going to squash this. Now, he's going to do it one or two ways. He's going to squash it through the power of his gospel by police officers and police departments being taken the gospel and confronted for their wickedness and called to repent. Not not telling them how much we love them. Not telling them, oh, we support the blue. None of that stuff. Open rebuke. And and showing the statistics of what they are doing to people wholesale. And the numbers are getting bigger every year. Because cops are bold. In seven states, cops have their own bill of rights. In seven states, cops have their own bill of rights. That means they have more rights in seven states in the United States of America than regular citizens do. Cops are given more rights. And you tell me there's not a class system there's not a there's not a caste system in our in our nation if you buy that what the the old saying is i've got a beachfront property in arizona right so i want to end on a on a uh an economic note i want to end on a economic note i want to talk about economics if i haven't lost you cool so we're looking at, uh, hey, we're making good time. I want this show to be about an hour long. So San Francisco's protectionism attempts to ban company cafeterias. This is from Fee.org, uh, Foundation for Economic Education. San Francisco's protectionist attempts to ban company cafeterias. So if you haven't heard, basically, uh, California, San Francisco is, I mean, they are enraged by the fact that major tech companies are cre- are basically opening their own indoor cafeterias so that their employees don't have to go outside. So, and that, those, these are free meals. So this is, this isn't even them having to pay for this cafeteria food. The company is giving it to them for free. So listen to this. All right. Silicon Valley is no stranger to competition. The race to produce cutting edge tech products that set you apart from the crowd is never ending in a sector that is constantly upgrading. And in order to dominate the market, you have to be the best. But in addition to the market pressure tech companies face when it comes to the actual products, each brand is also vying to employ the best talent. In the hunt for talented employees, both big tech companies and smaller startups have offered perks to sweeten the deal for potential employees. Now, keep this in mind as people tell you companies hate their employees and you know want to just exploit them. Google famous, famously provided nap pods for its employees, while other tech giants have offered on-site, on-site massages and doctors in order to look more appealing for job seekers. One of the most common perks provided by tech giants is on-site cafeterias where quality food is provided to employees at no, co- no extra cost. In addition to increasing productivity by incentivizing employees to stay on site and take shorter lunches, offering free food also provides relief to employees. And since Silicon Valley is not known for its low cost of living, free food is a real draw for potential employees. If they were going to have to pay astronomical prices to live in the city, sometimes as high as $3,400 a month for a one-bedroom apartment, 
then at least they could save a few bucks by eating lunch for free. This this in-kind payment may be cheaper to provide than you'd think since the company might be able to get better deals on food than individuals since they're buying in bulk. Feeding one's workers also fosters a familiar atmosphere that may increase worker loyalty. But the but the era but the era of employee cafeterias may soon be coming to an end thanks to San Francisco city officials. City supervisors Asha Safa and Aaron Peskin recently proposed new regulations that would make on-site cafeterias illegal. This is also the same state that's making straws illegal. If passed, the measure will ban the construction of employee cafeterias in new buildings, but existing cafeterias will be allowed to stay. Banning cafeterias in private buildings seem like an absurd quest to take on, but the new measure is more about pr- protectionism and government control than anything. So protectionism is, uh, real quick before we move on with the article, protectionism is a doctrine of thought uh, by central planners of cities, and basically what they do is they uh, they use regulations to protect certain businesses at the expense of others. That's sort of what Fred, Frederick Bastiat was talking about. So uh, when buy local becomes a weapon. In 2011, tech companies were given a payroll tax break in exchange for moving into mid-market into Midmarket, a rough area in San Francisco near City Hall. So, so keep that in mind. They got a tax break for moving into Midmarket, and it's a bad area of San Francisco. The city had hoped that if these tech companies moved into the neighborhoods, they would bring jobs and commerce with them. But this plan has not unfolded quite like the city officials had planned. So keep that in mind. They had they gave the tax break not because they love liberty, not because they want people to have more of their money not because of the goodness of their heart. They did a tax break because they were centrally planning and thinking that if they gave a tax break here, they could make something else happen over here. Hey, tax break here, more jobs, more commerce over here. While the tech companies themselves are doing just fine, other local businesses are struggling to keep their doors open. Many restaurants in particular had to close due to an inability to draw in customers. Of course, the restaurants were naturally frustrated, but they chose to blame their low sales on the tech companies. They reason that since some of these companies provided cafeterias, employees were choosing to stay on site to purchase food for snacks rather than going to a nearby restaurant or cafe. Gwyneth Borden, executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, just so if you don't know what that is, that is literally a restaurant union, supported the cafeteria ban saying, you can't, quote, you can't compete with free. Oh, thank you. Thank you, union, for pointing out uh, uh, such an obvious thing. So uh, I'll keep in mind, you're always going to see these unions behind these protectionistic uh, um, uh, uh, laws that are being put in, these regulations that are being put in. Almost no politician out of the goodness, quote-unquote, goodness out of their heart, does this. They're always, they're always uh, lobbied to create these registrations or, or these uh, regulations. And so let's keep going. And while it is surely more convenient to blame other people than it is to reevaluate your business plan, there are many other factors to consider when looking at this struggling neighborhood. San Francisco is in fame is infamous for being disgusting. In addition to seeing people defecate in the street, it is not uncommon to see used needles and hard drugs and hard drug use taking place right outside of the buildings that are currently home to Square, Twitter, and Uber. In fact, each of these buildings is heavily secured in order to keep the craziness of the streets at bay. Recently, one store owner in this neighborhood had to kick someone out of his store for taking his pants off. That same person later came back to urinate on the store's window. However, this same business owner has also been shocked that his store isn't thriving when clearly there are other issues far more problematic than free cafeterias. The presence of this tech of these tech companies cannot magically clean up the streets of San Francisco, but city officials are acting as though Square, Twitter, and Uber are somehow failing to live up to the terms of the tax break by failing to transform the city. But the only thing required of these companies in order to receive the tax break 
was to move into mid-market, which they have. So did you hear that? Did you hear that the city officials are acting as if though it is Square, Twitter, and Uber's fault for not transforming the city with their tax break? As if you can give someone a tax break and put all these businesses into one of the most disgusting districts of your city and somehow homeless people are going to go away. Somehow uh, drug use is not going to happen. Somehow uh, homeless people aren't going to defecate on the sidewalk. Like in what world would you have to live to think these thoughts? I'll explain. You have to live in a world where you believe humanity is going to change the world. You have to believe in this crazy madness that they, you know, pass off as reality. You have to believe that if you create a law, that law, or if you create a tax break or a regulation with a specific intent and purpose, that that intent is going to happen without a doubt. And this is the spiritual aspect of my podcast I was talking about. See, Fee's not going to talk about this. Fee's going to tell us we need to have economic freedom, to which I agree. But Fee isn't going to talk about the depraved heart of these officials and the, and the unions who thought that they that their law, man's law, is as powerful as God's law. See, these are word of faith heretics in humanistic spheres. And what I mean by word of faith heretics, quote unquote, is that they believe that if they merely legislate or speak law into reality, that their intent is infallible and inescapable. And this is why they enrage when it isn't, because they see it as blasphemous against their religion of government. And, and now they're going to punish you. Because you went against the word of man. I'm going to continue in the article here. Peskin, one of the architects of the new band, tried to blame the tech industry and their lack of community for the continued degradation of or degradation of the neighborhood, saying, quote, We don't want employees biking or driving into their office, staying there all day long and going home. This is about getting people out of their office, interacting with the community, adding to the vibrancy of the community. But unfortunately, for Peskin, city officials do not have the authority to dictate to its residents or to dictate its residents' behavior, especially when it comes to commerce. James Manning, the director of user experience at Dolby Laboratories, commented on the new measure to ban employee cafeterias, quote, I'm not in favor of local government mandating where I can and cannot eat. The idea that the idea the food doesn't need to be subsidized, that tech workers make so much is a fallacy. Tech workers, the vast majority, with the cost of living, are not wealthy. So to be sure, when Manning speaks of subsidies, he speaks of them in a private function or a private fashion. To call these lunches, quote, free would be misleading as, as they are subsidized by the companies and are a type of employee benefit. Choosing to offer free food to your employee is something you are doing at your own cost as a means of compensation for your employees. If, like many already do, a tech company chooses to offer on-site doctors to its employees, the government wouldn't tell them to stop this practice because the neighborhood doctors were missing out on patients. And yet this type of regulatory chaos is exactly what is happening with the cafeterias. But as with most regulations, when you dig deeper, you uncover the underlying motivations, which is protectionism from others refusing to compete. And so basically what we're dealing with here is you're dealing with uh, police uh, – you're dealing with restaurant owners who made a bad decision by moving into mid-market or they were already owning a business when mid-market in San Francisco uh, took a dump. Or not, uh, No pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> So uh, they were in mid-market when this happened or you know, as this transition began to happen. So either they made a really bad business decision and, and moved into mid-market or they were at mid-market when it started to decline. I don't know much about San Francisco at all, uh, so I have no clue. 
But what you can't do is when other businesses don't want to go into mid-market and say we have we want nothing to do with mid-market. It's a nasty, filthy district, and we don't want to subjugate our employees to going there. What the government decides to do is is incentivize them through their law and through regulation by, once again, not loving them for liberty or wanting more liberty for them or caring uh, for the fact that they should have their money and you shouldn't steal it. No, the only reason you're getting the tax breaks is so that you can bring your employees in and save the local restaurants. And these people, these officials promise this to these unions. So keep that in mind. This is an election issue for them. They promise these restaurant unions or this restaurant union, the Golden Gate Association, whatever it is, that that when these businesses came in, they would be coming to their restaurants and that they would flourish. They did not think that these businesses were going to create free food cafeterias for their employees to protect them from mid-market. This is a protection for these employees. How many of you that w- this article will go on to say that one of the employees stepped in human crap on the way to work? Now that's not dog crap. That's human crap. Think about that. How many of us want to walk and step in poo on our way home or on our way to work? Hey, oh man, you're walking into the office. What's that smell? Oh, did you step in dog poo? No, I stepped in human poo. So. What employees want to come and work for this in this kind of environment where they could get robbed, they could be beat, they could be murdered, they could be raped on their way to work. They could step on a on a on a on a, you know, a needle, a used needle. And who knows, get hepatitis or AIDS or something. Become extremely sick. The 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 businesses because they love their employees are shielding them. In fact, creating security measures to make sure that these homeless people aren't urinating on the employees, aren't coming in and you know uh, taking dumps in the lobby. And I'm sorry that this is graphic for my first episode, but this is the nature of the content we're going to be dealing with. Be dealing with some mature content, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not going to be using harsh language here, but. Um, uh, crap is about as as uh, PG thirteen as we're going to get here. Um, so keep that in mind when we think about the nature of man's heart. This is where the gospel comes in. This is what I've been talking about. This is a gospel issue. This economic, this little article here about what what they're doing economically through protectionism in San Francisco is a gospel issue. It's not a neutral issue. It's not like, hmm, I wonder how we could fix this. Implement God's law by refusing officials the ability to be lobbied to from unions to create regulations. There are no regulations in the word of God unless there is a victim. The 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 job of God's government in the Old Testament and today, according to Romans 13, is to punish evildoers and reward good. You reward good by executing justice in your society, not by creating regulations that you think is going to reward good people. And your law, your man's law, is not is not going to uh, create a, a paradise here on earth. Do you hear me, humanists? God's word and his gospel will bring dominion. And you will notice that humanism is always wanting to give their false counterfeit dominion of man over man. Humanism wants to have dominion of man over man. That's what they want. The only way they can get prosperity in their spiritual worldview, the only way they can bring dominion is to claim the earth for itself and to say that the government, not God, owns the earth. And eminent eminent domain is a good place to start there. If you don't know what eminent domain is, Google it. And it's a doctrine that the government, the federal government, owns all of the property in America. And that is a wicked doctrine. There shouldn't be any walls because the government doesn't own the border between Mexico and America. The people who individually own the land there own it, not the government. The government stole the border from individual persons and stole property. That's a gospel issue. It's not a neutral issue. So I hope you've learned something today at Man at the Gate. I hope the Lord has blessed you. Uh, Gone about four minutes over here, I think, but uh, I think we're great. I think we're doing good here. I think I made good time. I hope I blessed you. I I hope you learned something today. I hope you learned about how the gospel combats 
uh, economics and politics. And this is just a little taste of what you'll get about, hopefully weekly, you'll get from me here at Man at the Gate. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. Serve God. Press into the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Work hard. Bring dominion. Amen. Thank you for listening to Man at the Gate. Go forward, Christian, and apply your ethics to all areas of life. Begin to discern the world around you. God bless. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.